Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today we've got a truly inspirational and fascinating discussion with the one and only Mike McCastle. In all fairness, today is not about Mike. It's almost exclusively about you. It's about tapping into your greatness. And that's why I loved this conversation because we really dug into how commitment to a life of greatness is essential. We all need to commit to doing our very best and being as great as we can be. It's about embracing suffering and struggle proactively, not for the sake of pain, but to gain more resilience and have a greater sense of satisfaction throughout your life. It's about having unshakable, powerful belief, purpose and commitment, and how those things can combat your self-imposed limitations. It's about taking the impossible, which Mike has done in many occasions, and making them plausible. And hopefully you can relate, but this is also about controlling your tyrant of a chimp brain that always wants to quit and find the path of least resistance, the easy life. So whilst what you can hear from Mike are true feats of physicality that most of us just could not even fathom, there's value in his story. Because his story really is about making shit happen, accepting a life of greatness as your default, not mediocrity, and how you need to go about doing that through shaping your belief structure, your purpose, and having a drive and a commitment that cannot be broken. And whilst I went into this conversation a little bit hesitant that the feats of Mike's life would be unaccessible to the rest of us, in actual fact, in hearing his reasons why got me more motivated to get after life in the way that I know I can, living my greatest life and doing the best I possibly can and taking this idea of incremental improvements day in, day out, pushing my boundaries and not accepting or succumbing to my brain's default desire just to be comfortable. So if you want a dose of inspiration, of encouragement, of enthusiasm, but in a way which isn't rah-rah, it's really all about you stirring up that desire to get something amazing done in your life, then this absolutely is the episode for you. So not only in this discussion will you hear about these true marvelous feats of human potential and physicality by Mike, which I think is fascinating in its own right, but we're gonna get into the why behind his effort, how he embraces fear and failure, how he turns the impossible and makes it plausible, how he overcomes doubt and disbelief, and how he embraces suffering because he knows suffering is unavoidable and that true suffering in life is actually a life of regrets, not doing hard work. Hey, look, I really loved this chat. It was probably one of the most impactful mindset discussions that we've had on this podcast today because it exposed my weakness. It exposed my tendency to seek out comfort, make excuses, and pretend to myself I'm committed when I'm probably only 50% in. And hey, I'm not a lazy person, but identifying your flaws and doing something about it 
is your path to greatness. So I truly appreciate this conversation with Mike. I hope you will too. And if you've got any questions of both Mike or myself, you know what to do. Get hold of us on adaptnation.io or on the Adaptation Facebook page or even Instagram. Anyway, let's enjoy the life lessons and incredible story of Mike McCastle. All right. Today, we're speaking to Mike McCastle. Mike spent 11 years in the US Navy, inspired to serve after 9-11. But due to debilitating surgery, he was spurred on to test the limits of his soul over the last half decade through something he calls the 12 Labours Project, where he demonstrates awe-inspiring feats of human physical potential, including, and get ready for this, world record attempts at, at the most amount of pull-ups in 24 hours. I won't do a spoiler here. We'll talk about that in a second. A world record on a 250-pound tire flip over 13 miles. A world record rope climb equivalent to the height of Mount Everest. And if that isn't enough, pull in a two-ton pickup truck over Death Valley across 22 miles. It's insane. And I'm sure there's a couple of others there too. All in the spirit of charity and inspiring greatness in mind. And as a profession, Mike is a performance coach for athletes, corporates, explorers, as well as being a public speaker. And I tell you what, I am genuinely, genuinely so excited to be having this chat with you, Mike. You're fascinating. Uh, You have a wonderful purpose-driven perspective on life, as well as clearly being a machine. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into that, man. So welcome, my friend. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on Adam Nation show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. And um, I'm looking forward to our chat. Same, man. Same. And I'll tell you what, um, I'm most interested in trying to decode your masochistic slash incredibly stoic mindset, as well as how you work through your pain, uh, and where you get your deeply, deeply caring value system from. And ultimately, Mike, I'd love to just explore the practical applicability of your life to the average person, because you're far from average. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Cool, man. Cool. Well, I done a half-assed job of um, putting out there an introduction of you and your background. So before we get started in some of the questions I've got, Mike, is it worth us building on that introduction a little bit for the audience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's that's pretty good. Um, you know, I'm I'm also I'm an air traffic controller by trade, so that you know I, I do that as well. Oh. Uh, so we could talk about that. How some of those, uh, you know, how my lessons from that field have I've kind of incorporated into my philosophy and training. Um, but yeah, I think you're off to a good start, man. Good, 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 and. Um, in terms of the 12 Labours project, um, which is absolutely fascinating, and I'd love for us to dig into a bit of those labours in particular, why don't we just kind of lay down the kind of foundation of, of the why? Because you said, you've said you said a couple of things in your uh, other interviews, which I found fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. You've said that you want to inspire people to feel their potential of greatness. You want to test the limit of your soul. And to live is to suffer. So I'm getting a sense of why, 
but at the same time, I'm guessing everyone else listening to this is going, yeah, but why? <laughs> why do you put yourself through those incredible periods of pain and people just can't fathom it? So try and help us understand that a little bit. Right. Uh, so, you know, people, when people hear about the, the, the labors that I do, some people, they immediate thoughts that come into their mind would, are, are, are maybe that's crazy or, you know, he's a masochist or he's, um, that's impossible or I could, I could never do that. And those thoughts, those, uh, those reasons, those, those things that people say are really, is really what I'm trying to get at is, you know, pain, suffering, these things are all external and it's how you perceive it. It's all about your perception of the external because it's the same thing that one person might perceive as unpleasant or painful or masochistic. Another person might find purpose or meaning in it. Now, I'm not saying to go out and do things that hurt to hurt yourself intentionally. But what I'm saying is find find something that's worth the suffering, find something that in your life that's worth the pain and give the valiant effort towards manifesting that greatness that could be derived from it. Too many times we we shy back from things that could potentially um, be harmful to us and either emotionally or physically without really knowing what we're truly capable of, of doing if we were just to take on that challenge. Be smart about it. Do your research and make sure there is something that, you know, you're actually driven by and you're not doing it for someone else. My doctor told me to do it. My, my significant other told me to do it. But if you're pursuing something that you feel in your in your heart of hearts is great and you're being called, you're being compelled to do it by something that transcends the activity itself, then by all means, do it with all your might and don't worry about the pain. The pain is just a, a symptom of the effort. Uh, that you're putting forth towards the task. Um, if the focus is only on the pain and suffering, people say, you know, when I when I broke the world pull-up record, they, they, you know, they think, oh, well, that must have been so painful. Well, if your focus is on the pain, then you shouldn't have started the journey to begin with. It's it's where you're going. It's the destination. The pain is just the vehicle to get there, and that shouldn't be the sole focus. But people oftentimes get stuck in that tunnel. And the first time they encounter a little bit of pain or a little bit of suffering, they throw in the towel because they think that's that's the end game. And it's not. So I do these things not because it's painful or suffering. That's not my purpose. The purpose is what drives me to endure it anyway, to keep going forward in spite of the pain, in spite of the suffering. And pain is a universal language, right? People see the things I do and they say, that's pretty painful. The next question they ask is why, like you said, why did he do it? And that's when I explain the cause and the meaning and the charities and the what drives me behind it. I mean, that's the focus. That's what I want people to understand is I'm not baking, baking cookies. I'm not out here doing car washes. You know, uh, I'm doing things that hopefully people can see within themselves that they also have the capacity to transcend great amounts of discomfort. Um, and, and pursue and achieve things that are great in their lives. Lovely answer. Lovely answer. And so much to dig into there. Um, I, let's, let's start with how this came about. So we're going to talk about some of the, the particulars, but what was the, the trigger for you to say, do you know what, I, I want to do something bold. I want, I want to test the limits 
of my potential. I want to do something someone else has never done before. Um, what spurred you on to to do that? Because I could imagine enlightenment, um, um, charity, doing the things that you spoke about could be achieved through perhaps less effort or, or, or less quote unquote pain. What drove you to initiate the effort over the last five years? Well, I think it's just partially um, has to do with in part of how I was raised, how I was brought up. You know, I, I was never, you know, any anything that I, um, anything that I set out to do, I, I always um, was, you know, told and taught to really give the full effort towards and to, to try things and do things that really challenged me. Um, I've always been physically adept, uh, but I, I wasn't like a star athlete in high school. I wasn't, you know, I was fast, but I wasn't super fast. I was strong, but I wasn't super strong. Um, I'm, I'm pretty average athletically. I think, uh, you know, when it comes to just physical, um, you know, my physical default setting is, is, is nothing super extraordinary, but, um, I had a, I had a, a time in my life where, I suffered some pretty bad, bad injuries uh, during my time in the Navy and um, it put me in the hospital. I had to get surgery. And when that happened, um, that, that took away a part of me that I had really identified with, which was my physicality. I, I, I had to get two surgeries to my knees and I was bedridden. I was, you know, I was going through the whole rehabilitation uh, phase and I realized how attached I was to that identity of just being so physically adept that it had really it took something from me. I felt like it physically took something from me, and I fell into a really dark, dark place. And I, I didn't like the thoughts that I was thinking about myself. My my level of self worth was down, and I realized that it was because I had attached myself so much to the single part of my identity that I felt that my identity was taken completely and I needed to get it back. I needed to do something physical to get back that part of me. I put a lot of value in what externally, what other people thought about me at the time. And I wanted to prove to them and, you know, myself too, and and to them that I was still capable of coming back and, and regaining that part of me that I put so much value. Now, the problem with that is up until that point, up until that first, um, great challenge, that big challenge, which, which was the world record pull-up attempt. And for anyone who's, you know, listening, doesn't know the story. I, I did break the world record for most pull-ups in 24 hours, but it was on my second attempt. The first attempt I failed. And so I realized through this process that, you know, I was putting so much value in other things and not myself. I was creating, I was putting value in things that were external, other people's opinions, a a silly record, not, not the cause, not the purpose, not myself. Um, When you make yourself valuable to the world, people will come to you. People will, people will pay you for being yourself, you know, and, but so many times people are afraid to, to, invest in self-worth and self-value mm-hmm. and that's exactly what i did i put a lot of value in this record and um um it didn't it didn't get me to the the golden door at the end i fell short and so i guess getting back to the the, the question is you know 
really what started this this journey, this curiosity was, you know, here I am at what, what I perceived to be a rock bottom moment in my life. I wanted to know how far could I push myself? How far, far could I go off of will um, and, and set a goal and try to come back from it? You know, how far is it? You know, you always hear these stories of these great feats of endurance and and you know that's I wanted to I wanted to know what it's like to be in that world to be in that in that realm on that level, and when I was reading stories about these people, like they were just regular people, they were athletes, they were great, you know, they trained, but they were just regular people like mm-hmm. you and I and anyone else. Um, but they set the goal and they did it. Now, I'm an air traffic controller. My job in that field, you know, I was air traffic controller for 11 years. My job is to solve highly complex problems in very chaotic environments, life and death decisions in seconds. So I, I, I took on this, this, uh, journey, this, this just challenge as a highly complex problem within myself that I, it was a puzzle within myself that I needed to deconflict. And I, I, I took all the pieces of my life, all the things that I, I, come to know about myself and and it just led me it all led me to this path of of these increasingly difficult challenges um in pursuit of of what i believe would manifest my greatness i think that everyone is is destined to be great at something you know whether it's a podcaster whether it's a teacher whether it's a lawyer whether it's a doctor everyone's destined to be great at something there's a purpose that you're meant to fulfill to its full potential. And I think at the time I was really starting to discover what that was for me. And it's nothing in life comes easy. There's no free lunch. So I needed to, there was a puzzle I needed to solve. And this journey of 12 labors project is that puzzle. It's that journey. It's that there's suffering, there's pain, there's all these complexities within it. And I'm going to make the wrong choice. Sometimes I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. And then, and then climb and then fail and then fall and then climb and then fail and then fall and then climb and then climb and then climb and then climb until I get to whatever I I believe is that mountaintop. Mm. I'm going to ask this question, not um, loaded or assuming otherwise, but in your first attempt of the pull-ups or the second attempt where you did break the record, was there some preconceived ideas of either how you would feel, how you would be, how you would change for the better, or what would come into your life um, that perhaps wasn't realized after, after the feat, or actually put it, put another way, did you realize or change in ways you hadn't expected and, and maybe kind of cascade that through the, the project itself over the, the last few events? Right. So with the first pull-up challenge, um, the big epiphany I had there, um, I had a lot to do with your locus of control, right? Psychology, they, they talk about um, your locus control. Um, when something goes wrong in your life, do you, where, does, where does your thoughts go? Where do your thoughts go? Do they go to external factors? Like if, say you get a cold, you say, oh, well, it was those, you know, those sick kids I was around earlier in the day in the grocery store. I, they shouldn't have, you know, I, those parents shouldn't have took those kids out. That's why I got sick. Or oh, it's because I, um, you know, I, I those that the weather was bad today, and I, I shouldn't have, you know, gone out and done the thing. 
So it's like you have an external locus of control. Then you have an internal locus of control where it's like, well, you know, I haven't really been eating as well as I should. And, man, you know, I should be getting a little bit more rest and recovery from my immune system. And uh, maybe I should have, you know, those are internal reasons. So depending on what side you favor more will determine the results that you get in life. You know, you either get the results you want or your excuse for not getting them. You can't have both. And excuses don't count. So for me, it was, you know, going into that challenge um, and failing after, you know, I failed after 3,202 pull-ups. At the time, the record was 4,030. So I fell just over 800 pull-ups short. Um, and it was after, you know, I had torn my, my forearm, had torn around 2,000 pull-ups. Uh, my bicep torn around 2,500 pull-ups. Um, my kidneys began to shut down at around 3,000 pull-ups. My urine looked like, um, you know, some Irish whiskey or something like that. Um, not to be too descriptive, um, but I was in bad shape and I couldn't, you know, I had holes in my hand that had to be packed with chalk and flush out and repacked with chalk after every single set. And I stopped after I could no longer uh, grip the bar. I, I, I physically, my hand wouldn't close around the bar because of the gashes in my hand. And um, I fell short. I failed. I was on, it was on national television. A lot of people were watching me. And, and, and I immediately went to that external locus of control. I blamed the pull-up bar. I blamed um, other things, the external, all these external factors. And I began to have a, a one-man pity party. I was sitting in the hospital playing the world's smallest violin. Woe is me. Bridges are short. Life is cruel. And when I, while I was sitting there, I was in the hospital for four days getting treated for rhabdomyolysis, the condition with my kidneys and muscle breakdown. And um, a kid walks in on the last day I'm there, you know, and I'm already thinking, you know, I'm, this is it. This is my rock bottom here. I, I had just recovered from knee surgery. Um, I set this goal to pull myself out of that dark place. And now here I am right back in almost worse shape than I was before I went into it. So I was feeling pretty bad. And this kid walks in and he doesn't knock on the door. He just walks right on in and he was awaiting surgery. He was waiting a life saving surgery. I, I think it was um, either an organ, organ transplant or a, some type of surgery that he needed within the week or else he would die. And he had the biggest smile on his face and he, he walks on in and he says, hello, sir. Mr. McCastle, I just want to shake your hand. I saw on the news earlier in my room about you uh, attempting the pull-up challenge. And I just want to say that I'm so inspired by the effort. I'm so inspired by the cause that you did it for. My dad served. I did the, the I did it to raise awareness for wounded veterans his first attempt. He didn't care that I failed. He didn't care that I didn't meet my, my personal goal or I didn't break some silly record. He didn't care about any of that. He was just inspired by the attempt that someone would, would put themselves through that much pain for something greater than themselves for a cause outside of themselves. It wasn't about me. And I knew at that moment, I realized at that moment at what I believe to be my rock bottom, that even at my lowest low, I still have a job to do. I can still inspire someone. I can still lead. I can still mm -hmm. impact someone's life. Even when I think that, you know, there's no way out or I'm, I'm, I'm in this really dark place that you don't know who's watching. You don't know who, who is, can be expired. And I knew that 
the next words that come out of my mouth could, could build this kid up or could break him down. So I wanted to really set the example from then on. I mean, that was the epiphany. I was going about it all wrong. My purpose was misguided. I, I was doing it. I needed to start doing these challenges. I needed to, it needed to be something more. I needed a deeper purpose that went beyond myself and what was going on in my life. So from then on, I, I was, this fire was in my belly to not only come back and beat the world, the record for pull-ups, but I was going to do it with a 30 pound pack to prove that you can come back stronger after failure to prove that, um, you know, there's lessons that can be gained from even your lowest, lowest moment in your life. There's still valuable lessons. If you're just receptive to it, if you just get out of your head for a second, get out of the tunnel for a darn second and just open your, open your ears and, and be receptive to the lessons that the universe are, are, are giving to you. Um, no failure, only, only feedback. And that's when I, when I really started to change the, the way I approach these challenges. And now moving forward, when I went into a labor, I accepted the possibility of failure. I accepted the possibility of not failing. I accepted the possibility of, of all these different outcomes, all outcomes I accepted up front so that when it came time to deliver, when it came time to perform, I was ready. Because there's nothing that could happen in the moment that could throw me off. I, mean, I love that. I, I, I love that. And I think that's so relatable to, to any pursuit, whether it's in business or whether it's in the gym or whether it's, you know, trying to hook up with someone, you know, any aspect of your life, the more you can get comfortable with all the permutations and try and de-risk the ones you don't want, but at the same time be at ease that, you know, there is a failure path and you accept it. It's possible and you could do everything you can to avoid it. But if it happens, it happens. Um, it takes takes the fear away from the pursuit. Is is that kind of how you felt when you considered, you know, injury and, you know, potential, you know, debilitating permanent injury in some of the feats you've, you've, uh, you've. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, I like, I like the fear. Um, I think fear is a very valuable, very valuable tool. Um, um, but it, it did, it did in a sense change my, um, my perception of fear. It didn't get rid of the fear. You know, the fear, it gives you an adrenaline. It, it releases adrenaline in your body. It heightens your hearing. It heightens your you focus more. You have a little bit more clarity. You stand up taller. Um, you know, when you're, when you're afraid, your, your greatest, some of your greatest miracles in your life, some of the greatest achievements in your life are going to be in a time of your, when you're in your scary place, when you're in a place of when your eyes are peeled back and you're, you know, you really don't know what's going to happen. You, you'll be surprised of what type of greatness that environment will pull out of you out mm -hmm. of necessity if you, if you perceive it in the right way. So, um, I, there's a, there's, a, there is a degree of fear that, uh, that I embrace when I go into these challenges because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what could go wrong but because of that i am i am more dialed in to the task at hand whereas before fear would probably have a more negative impact um you know it, it elicits a fight or flight response and i was probably more more likely to to flee than to fight um because that was just my mindset and perception of what i you know the threats and world around me but like i said you know mental strength and being mentally strong and and having this mindset now can be developed it's not something that you're just born with you can develop it you can change it's plastic it's moldable it can be it can be attained so don't think that just because you're, you're someone might be listening to this well i'm not like that i don't have that mindset well 
it takes practice. It takes time. It takes, you have to commit to it. You have to actually use the tools and, mm -hmm. and apply it each and every day. Um, and it's not something that just happens overnight, but at the same time, it's not something that, you know, it's not like a genetic thing where you're just born with it. You know, you can develop it for sure. So there's, there's this fear and then there's plausibility, right? So some of the things you've done, right? Um, for example, the rope climb equivalent to Mount Everest, 29,000 feet, like I can't climb rope for shit so the idea of climbing mount everest is just beyond me beyond my idea of plausibility when you when you're looking at these activities um like the pull-ups you've done 5800 pull-ups i do eight nine and you know I'm, I'm done now i know i could go a little bit more after 10 or 15 seconds and their strategies of you know squeezing out maybe a couple of hundred if i had to but the idea of thousands upon thousands over a course of a day um it's just implausible to me now i think i'm i've got a fairly strong mind i think i've got decent mental fortitude i believe in myself i'm courageous when i want to be i put in a hell of a lot of effort more than some do on activities i pursue that being said i look at the things you do and it feels unaccessible and I can imagine many other people go, you know what, he's awe-inspiring. It's a great story. He's going to encourage me to incrementally improve my life. I'm going to dig a little deeper. Maybe I'm going to do a couple more reps. Maybe I'm going to go pursue that business opportunity because, hey, why not? I Clearly, we as humans can achieve greatness. And I'm just looking for an incremental gain. But you're not looking for incremental gains. The things you go for aren't just a slight improvement on everyday average life. They are extreme pursuits that people just can't wrap their head around do you not not only just feel the fear do you not look at some of your activities and go that don't sound achievable like can we do that right uh you know i, I realized a long time ago that you know nothing is nothing is really implausible and and, and the things that we think that are implausible are um we just haven't given enough um, thought to it. We see it for what it is on the surface. Um, the, basically the tip of the iceberg of what the challenge really is, because anything, anything in life can be broken down into its individual constituent parts. And, you know, is that saying how that saying goes, how you eat an elephant, you know, how the, ele how the ant devours a tiger, how the pyramid was built one brick, one brick, one bite at a time, anything. So too is a goal. So too is what you might think is implausible. When I began training for the pull-up challenge, I could do 10 pull-ups, 10. That was my maximum when I began training. And that was it. Now, if I, if my brain, if I would allow myself to go to, to focus in on the, on the end, which I needed to do thousands and thousands, I would have got discouraged and I would have quit. But you know, this, this might sound cliche with the, when, you know, when you talk about setting goals and breaking them down into small chunks and, and focusing only on the set at hand. But it's cliche, when something is cliche, it's cliche for a reason. That means it works. That means it stood the test of time. That means if you apply the principle properly, it, you'll get the, you'll get the outcome. And that's what I did. I, I could only do 10 pull-ups. I was recovering from surgically repaired knees. I couldn't run. I had no cardio. I was out of shape. I was, you know, 30, 30, 40 pounds overweight. I was, I was badly depressed. And here I am, you know, at the, at the start line of this great 
challenge. Um, and if my mind would have went to the finish line, I, I probably would have quit on week one. Mm. The first time I got sore, I probably would have would have stopped. But I took it one day at a time. I set a goal for for each week. I said this week, week one, my goal is to do 50 pull-ups in the week. So some days, maybe I'll, one day I'll do five. Maybe one day I'll do you know one or two. But as long as at the end of the week I got 50 in, I I, I did it by volume. So the next week, okay, this week I'm going to get 150 pull-ups or 100 pull-ups. And, and I did that. And towards the end, I was doing, you know, six, 7,000 pull-ups by the end of the week. Um, some sessions were longer. I, I had to work it around my schedule. But I didn't start there. Mm-hmm. I started with, with small, manageable chunks, something that was too realistic. You know, doing 50 pull-ups in a week or 100 pull-ups in a week, that wouldn't upset me too much. I can still get what I needed to get done. It wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't something that I had to make incredible sacrifice and, and changes in my life or lifestyle at the time. You know, it was, it, was, it was manageable. I could do it. It wasn't stressful. I was still getting good sleep, good rest. And, then, and as the volume went up, so did micro changes in my life to accommodate the volume. But if I if I were to just say week one I'm, I need to get a thousand two thousand pull ups in that would have discouraged me incredibly because I I physically probably wouldn't have been able to do it and that would have discouraged me I would have just gave up on the goal and same with every other challenge that I've taken on I you know it starts you have to start somewhere and doing four thousand or doing five thousand eight hundred and four pull ups um, more or less with a thirty pound pack on your back. Yeah, just saying that day one, if I tell someone to do that day one, the brain will go, will say, that's impossible. You are going to hurt yourself because your brain is doing its job, which is your survival. And your brain thinks 5,000 pull-ups and you you haven't done a pull-up since, you know, you're in grade school. Yeah, that's going to probably kill you. And that's your brain doing a very effective job at preserving the organism, which is, which is you. But once you through habits, right? Through every single day, doing your small set of pull-ups, doing your small set of daily tasks towards that goal that's in line with that goal, with the end goal in sight, it becomes more manageable in your brain. You'd be surprised at the creativity and the open, your brain starts to open up. Your mind begins to expand and find new opportunities to, your, your life begins to evolve and change and mold around the goal. You'll start making changes, subconscious changes that you didn't even realize you were making. You know, there's you, there's mornings that you'll wake up that you know before the alarm clock goes on goes off, because your body will just start getting used to the small habit of getting up an hour earlier, whereas before you would have had to hit the snooze button 50 times. But you know, now a month later you've stuck to the to the plan, and now you're just waking up before the alarm goes off. What's that about? That's your brain adjusting to the choices that you've made that your life is now starting to mold around the goal itself because it's that important to you. You're nothing, nothing is free. When, when you take on a new task and a new goal, your brain is going to, and especially if it's something, a physical challenge, your brain is going to test you. They're going to see if this is a real permanent thing. It's mm-hmm. going to, it's going to resist. It's going to resist. Oh, you want to wake up an hour earlier? We'll see about that. I'm going to fight that for a couple of weeks and see how committed you are to it. I'm going to make it hard to wake up because this is a hard, this is a hard challenge. So if you're not all in, why give the energy and effort towards it? That's what your brain thinks. So I'm going to make it hard. We're going to test it. We're going to see if if um, if you really want this to be a real change. 
And you, so you stick it out for a couple of weeks. It's hard. It's difficult. But week three, week four, it starts to get a little bit easier. And your body's okay. Well, I guess this is, this is the change. This is, this is the new, new. This is the, this is what it is now. And we need to make it work because being tired, being groggy, being all of this early in the morning, it's not working because we need to perform. We need to get it done. And so, yeah, in the beginning it's hard, but you know, nothing is, nothing is impossible. Like, I don't, I don't think anything is really impossible. I think, you know, anything can be broken down into chunks and, uh, and and taken on, man. Mm, that, That is fantastic. There's a couple of things that triggered whilst you were saying all of that, Mike. Firstly, you know, you spoke about the volume game and I, I, I see a likeness to people prepare, preparing for a marathon, right? Marathon is by no stretch considered uh, an extreme, implausible activity like some of your feats. That being said, to some people, it absolutely is. And yet people can progress their, you know, uh, aerobic capacity, their efficiency, their running style to the point of being able to run marathons through progressive volume over weeks and months and you're doing you change you achieve the same thing on something that sounds very extreme and very acute i love that and the second thing you said that i found quite powerful is this idea that your brain resists right your brain doesn't want you to put in effort you know any more effort than is necessary right i I often think that i'm my brain's quite lazy and it will look for the most easiest path of my life which hey sounds comfortable and great and why would you not want easy um, but at some point your brain stops resisting when all, all the, all the factors transpire, when, when, when it gets the message that you're serious and things aren't going to change. So we better, we better buckle in and get ready for the pursuit. Talk to me about that. Did, was there, when, as, as you look for any of these, these labors, was there a moment in time, say right at the beginning when you said, okay, I'm going to go do this. Was there unshakable belief in your ability to go do that up front? Or was there any doubt? And if so, did that doubt dissipate? Was there like a trigger moment when it went from, I can't do 6,000 pull-ups or however many I need to do to, do you know what, this This is kind of achievable now. I'm, I'm, I'm on the game plan. I, I get it. I can see how I can get there. Right. Right. Sure. Yes. It's a, it's like a balance of power, right? So you have your belief in yourself and belief in the the thing that you're, you're wanting to do. And then there's also doubt. Um, that's, you know, belief sits on one shoulder and doubt sits on the other shoulder. And, and they're both, they're both feeding you, you know, they're both telling you things, um, when faced with a challenge or adversity. And it's, it kind of comes down to which side are you going to listen to the most, which side is going to take you the one step closer to um to the goal and when i go into these challenge i have both i have there's doubt that comes up there's hesitation there's second guessing there's fear there's all these things that they 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 still come up just like with anyone else but my belief in it my belief in myself always overrides is always more powerful than the doubt and the hesitation and it doesn't stop me it doesn't stop me from taking the next step it's not strong enough it's there. I notice it. I realize it. I acknowledge it. Um, but I don't allow it to take me off course. That's the difference is I, 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 I feel those things just like everyone else. I mean, it happens where I'm human. Um, and, and that's just my brain Maybe. doing a very, very, effect, very effective <laughs> job. <laughs> but, um, 
but I don't allow it to take me off off the course. I, I see it for what it is. It's kind of like a, a flock of birds. You know, you're driving on the road, you see a flock of birds and you just go about your day. That's the same with doubt. When doubt shows up, I see it, I acknowledge it, but I don't stop the car, pull over and reach up and try to grab the birds and, and engage with it. I just see it. I nod my head and I keep keep it moving. I keep it moving down the road. So same with, you know, when I'm taking on these challenges, all these things come up, but I just, I think it's, it's it, you must, you have to have a tremendous amount of belief. Um, your belief, whatever it is in yourself or, or whatever your belief system is, they're going to get tested. They're going to get tested. And that's what separates a belief from an opinion because, you know, opinions are, are, are changeable. You know, opinions change from day to day. But belief systems, beliefs are, are more deeply ingrained. And they're deeply ingrained because they've stood tests. They've withstood resistance. They've, res- they've, they've withstood challenges. And if they still stood strong. So if you want to, you know, test your beliefs, you have to put yourself in an, envi- in an environment where they're going to be tested. And my belief in myself had been tested time and time again. And um, the negative self-talk and the negative feelings and emotions, they do come up from time to time. It's not like they just go away forever. But the difference now is that when they do come up, I don't allow it to take a grip on me. And, and I just let that wave pass. And I feel the sensations and I feel their impact, but I don't allow it to take me to, to, to move me off of that course. Um, I think that a lot of times, you know, what really what it comes down to is um, when you set a when you set a goal or when when you're in pursuit of something that you believe is going to bring value to your life, you have to really commit. You have to really commit to it. And a lot of times, nine times out of ten, why people fail at a goal is because they weren't really committed. They say they were committed. They said they were committed, but judge a fruit judge a tree by the fruit that it produces not the fruit that it wishes it produces not the fruit that it talks about producing not the fruit that it said that it wanted to produce you judge a tree by the fruit that it produces and you your commitment i will see your commitment in your actions you show me your actions let me watch what you do for a week and i'll tell you the level of your commitment not in what you say and so a lot of times People don't really don't really understand like what it really means to be committed. Being committed means being committed means you need to deliver. You need to deliver no matter what you said you would do it. Therefore, you will do it no matter what. Being committed is people are afraid of committing because committing to something means no excuses. Mm-hmm. Committing to something means means there are. There are no excuses. You either do it or you don't. You cannot half step to greatness. You cannot half step to doing to reaching your goal. Either you do it or you don't. You're either committed to greatness or you're committed to mediocrity. You're either committed to um, producing great things in your life or you're committed to laziness. There's no there's no in the middle. There's no gray area with committed. Try to stand up. Either you do it or you don't. Right. It's like try to try to take this uh, pencil out of my hand. You either do it or you don't. And people, oftentimes, they say they're committed, but they're really in, the, in this this made up gray area, where doubt, hesitation, second guessing still has that power to throw them off course. Commitment, commitment, true commitment is resistant. Is is it's 
it's immune to those things when you're truly committed in your mind. Commitment is a very powerful, powerful thing. Uh, and so when people say they're committed, I said, okay, I'll say, okay, let me observe you. Let me see what your, what your day-to-day habits are. Let me see what your priorities are. You know, if you want to, if you tell me that you're committed, what are your priorities? I'll tell you if you're committed. If, you know, what if, what if airlines, what if airlines were, um, what if, what if the likelihood of you getting to your destination when you go on a plane, what if the likelihood of you getting to your destination was just as much as your luggage getting there? Right. Not many people would be flying. Mm. Right. But because the airline is committed to getting people, to getting you to your destination, because that's a priority, they prioritize getting people to where they need to go. The likelihood of you getting to your destination is more because they're committed to that. And I'm glad that they are. (laughs) (laughs) It it sounds like you're talking about decision as well, right? It's... um, I, I feel the same. I feel the same. Um, much of my life is quite often around not not faith, but a utter belief in the pursuit that I've decided to get after. You now, whether it be economically or through business, and quite often it can sound absurd, unachievable, too difficult, uh, unrealistic. And yet, when people challenge my position on that. I'm not wavering. I don't have optionality. I don't have a a success path and a failure path. And I'm not trying to, you know, hedge my bets when I describe my, my vision and my expectations of myself and what I'm holding out for the future. I talk about it with uh, a level of conviction, which assumes it's already done and describes that, that um, unavoidable future, the future, which I'm now just working towards. It's that level of decision uh, that I think I'm hearing from you where there isn't any optionality in your mind. I love that. I love that kind of mental attitude. Um, I still struggle with applying it towards something so crazy <laughs> that you've done, but, but I get it. I completely get that, man. Um, I want to, I want to touch on one other kind of mental aspect here, which is, are you a stoic? Are you, you know, do you kind of perversely enjoy suffering? and maybe put a finer point on this. What is suffering as it relates to life? Is it unavoidable? Is it part of life? And do you embrace it? Or do you try and avoid it? Because it looks like you're, you're a sucker for suffering. <laughs> um, and some people clearly would look at you what you do and just say he just wants to hurt himself. But talk to me about stoicism and suffering and why it's important to you. Right. Uh, you know, I believe you know, the, fir- the first of Buddhist four noble truths is, you know, like to live is to suffer. Life is suffering. It's unavoidable. It's, it's a fact of life. You know, you're born into this world. Uh, if you're born into this world, you will suffer. It's, it's our baseline. And a lot of people, they get so caught up on what is, what is already a given. Um, so you have, you have an option now, now given that something is that to live in life at, to some degree, you will suffer. So like I was saying, so, you know, to live is a suffer. So you, you have a choice at that moment, you know, to, to, to either feed in to the suffering, to the pain and avoid it um, at all costs and everything that you do, you live in a shell, you, you shy back from things that have the potential to, to um, manifest your greatness because you shy back because there could be some suffering or some pain involved. And at the end of the life, you add up 
you, you start adding up all the things that you avoided and all the things that you that you didn't see through to fruition because of the because of a little pain or a little suffering things that are already a given from day one that you're put that you're on this planet so the choice then is okay well what if you did the opposite what if you acknowledge the potential pain and, and the suffering that could be involved um and you did it anyway mm-hmm. you made a plan you made a goal and you did it anyway how much more at the end of your life would you I mean, would you be happy with that? Would you have less regret or no regret at all? And that, that's really what it comes down to, because at the end of the day, we have one life. We have one lifetime on this planet. And in, in, at the end of the lifetime, you don't want to be on your deathbed and you don't want to see all the greatness, all the great ideas in the books you could have wrote and the, and the things and the, the music you could have put out there and the, the, all the great ideas that you didn't see through to fruition because you were afraid of a little pain and suffering something that's a given that any and by the way you suffered anyway and if you didn't suffer at your life well now you're suffering the pain of regret 100%. so it's something that's unavoidable you're going to suffer and so you we avoid like suffering to, you'll still suffer that's basically what i'm saying so 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 why go about trying to make your life easy because you, you're going to live with regret and be disappointed or just just have a as you say mediocre life so kind of lean in on the suffering is what i'm hearing Exactly. Lean into it. And that's what I do. Now I'm not, now what I do is, is, is an exaggerated example of that. And I do it for that reason. I want people to see, you know, like this is, I want something to visit. I want a physical representation of this idea that we're talking about now, something that I can physically leave on this world, in this world after I'm gone, something that's tangible. Um, so people can continuously and repeatedly draw lessons and inspiration from um, and that's not going to happen from running up for me personally, that's not going to happen from running a 5k for someone that for someone else that that would, that could be that that could be that level for you, um, which is great. But it's not going to happen for me for baking, you know, doing a bake sale, or, you know, doing a car wash. To me, I, I need to do things that challenge me personally, and take me out of that comfort zone. And, and there needs to be a degree of pain and suffering, because that is the tool. That is the vehicle. That is the access. That is my access to um, getting to the next level and transcending the pain. And you, when you talk about pain, Mike, you, um, I've heard you say this before, and I, I'm, I really want to kind of double click into it. You've said pain is a shortcut to being present and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Explain that a little bit more. Sure. I mean, pain, pain is a shortcut to mindfulness. Like, you know, you're in the kitchen, you're cut, you're making a sandwich. Um, you have a slip of the knife and you slice your finger. What do you do? Are you going to keep, continue making the sandwich like nothing happened? No, you're immediately drawn to the present moment and what is happening now. You tend to the finger, you tend to the wound. So, so when you're going through something that's painful, it's a very effective tool at trimming the fat out of everything that else is happening around you, the unnecessary things. It, it, and it, it draws you into the, only the essentials, the things that need to be taken care of now. So when you're going through something painful, you know, you know, notice when someone is, is, is going through like an emotional bout of pain, let's say emotional pain, they become very succinct. Their words are succinct. They, they say things when they speak, they speak things that they only really mean to say. They preserve their 
any excess energy towards things that don't matter. Whereas, uh, you know, they, you know, they say some of the greatest writers are, are, are writers who, um, in their personal life, they're going through a lot of pain, whether it's depression, whether it's, you know, whatever, because it trims the fat. What, what, what someone would might normally say, you know, they would go on and ramble on within a whole paragraph about how, you know, they say they were going through a bad breakup and, you know, how this person did this, that, and the third. And, and because of that, they feel this, that, and the third. When someone is going through some pain, they might just say in a simple sentence, my soul hurts. And in that very small few words, you can, the, the, the reader or whoever's listening can really understand and grasp what that person is going through without the excessiveness. So when you're going through physical pain, and when you're going through any type of pain, it for me it it is a shortcut to mindfulness. Mindfulness because it draws you into the present. You begin to reflect on what is necessary and what isn't in your life, and you you begin to focus on what what is really important, what is re- what really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, I would say that you know some pain. I mean, people can wallow, right? People can ruminate. You know, people can go through emotional angst. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. due to relationships or, you know, people letting them down or their their reaction to other people and get themselves all caught up and, um, you know, ruminate and just obsess and worry. Uh, I, I don't see a lot of productivity in that. And a lot of people do live in some low levels of kind of chronic emotional and psychological pain. I, I don't know whether there's the same kind of linkage to that and um, these enduring bouts of extreme physical pain do, do, do you see the linkage or, or or do you or is it about the reaction and response to to pain which is different in those two circumstances it, it is yeah it's about how you respond to it so for me when i when i'm going through something that is is extremely physically painful right and i i see it i acknowledge the pain for what it is it hurts i'm suffering but at the same time it's it's that is my access point to transcend the pain itself like, like I said, the journey itself is not about the pain, right? It's, it's about the journey as a whole. So my, when I, when I feel, when I'm going through, let's say I'm, I'm pulling a truck, I pulled a truck across death, death valley. There are moments in that truck pull where I was in excruciating pain. It was, it was very difficult. It was challenging, but that is my access to focus in, to dial in on what it is, what my purpose really is. Why am I in this pain? What, what, what is the reason for me going through this? And it really, it, it strips the layers down. It strips all the super, superficial layers of what, what it is, why it is that I'm doing it. And it strips those layers away. And I see it for, in its most raw state, my purpose and what I'm doing. I see it in its most raw straight, raw state. And I'm able to then make a choice and make a decision and reconfirm that belief. Okay. This belief is still true to me. In this most painful moment, in this, in the heart of this suffering, this particular belief is still true. Stamp it, move, move it on to the next, move on to the next belief or the next thing in my life that I'm focusing on. And then I test it through the crucible. And the, these labors are, are like crucibles. And I'm going through it and I'm going through again the next b- belief that I have. Okay. Do I still feel the same way? about this belief now in this state of pain and suffering than I would on a, on a bright, sunny, happy day? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. I keep, I, I check the box, keep it moving. It's a good self, it's a good way to kind of self, um, take inventory on your belief system because 
we say a lot of things that we believe in that that are are good that make us feel good but the second that that or look good right or what we think other people would like to hear from us but the second that that belief gets tested when you're going through something painful um they they crumble because they weren't real they were superficial because you didn't test them you didn't they were never tested you just said it because you thought it it was what someone else wanted to hear or what you think other people would would approve about you so like i said your belief systems are only as strong as your the tests that they endure a lot of times we, we put all these superficial layers and we, we we fluff up our our belief systems because it's it, it turns into more of a coping mechanism and a, and a survival a defense mechanism against what really is true that lies beneath because maybe if you strip away those layers or you allow yourself to endure a little bit of pain you'll realize that those belief systems aren't as solid as you thought they were and when you're going through you know you have a choice you could either put yourself through these tests and know that pain is the pain is going to come and you know it's going to test or like i said pain is inevitable it's life is suffering you could have life smack you when you're unexpected mm. and it's going to be a far more unpleasant situation so you have to train your mind and you have to train yourself to be better prepared to handle those times when when the storms in life come unexpectedly by voluntarily putting yourself through a, a controlled level of pain and suffering now i'm not saying go and do it to the that is the that's the way of the stoic that's the way they 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 go through they simulate what it's like to have the very least what is the least i can survive off of what is the least uh what is the least i could be okay with and that way when it happens in life unexpectedly they're prepared for it because they've been there before they don't react to it they don't respond to it in a negative way they acknowledge it and they embrace it and that is the same with with what i do it's it's i'm not telling people to go and run um 20 miles for 100 consecutive days and go through all the pain and suffering you don't need to do that for someone it could be like you said just go and pursue that business pr- pursuit take the first step towards it mm. that or or it could be you know do 10 pull-ups you know, if you don't do a thousand, just do 10. If that's enough to make you a little uncomfortable, start there. And you'd be surprised how far you go. I think it's so important for people to know how far that they're really actually able to go. Because a lot of times people don't, they don't want to go because they, they're, they're afraid of their breaking point. They're afraid of, because they, they don't know where that breaking point is. And they're afraid to go there. And, so, the, and then the stories will be, and including the stories I give myself, Mike, is that, um, it just doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I know this person's done this marvelous, fantastic thing, but for me, oh, yeah, I don't care about it. <laughs> and and that's an easy way of kind of avoiding work, right? Because what you're talking about is work, pain, suffering, struggle. And I can avoid all of that by saying there's no meaning to it. It's pointless. Waste of time. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I think we, we, you know, it's not just extreme events, efforts like yours, but I see that all the time where someone's putting in reasonable amount of effort in something and they're enduring some pain and growing pains um and it's easy to dismiss that as you know they're just wasting their time because i don't want to put that work in i don't want to suffer i don't want to struggle i don't want to be a failure um i don't want other people to judge my efforts and say right here right now he's not it doesn't seem to be working but he's putting in a load of effort Uh, and i see a lot of linkage to what you're saying also see 
the value of stoicism. You know, I don't do anything like what you do, Mike, but I have a cold shower every morning. I train almost every day. I do things that aren't particularly pleasant because I'm trying to prepare my my body, my senses for enduring maybe a little bit more cold or enduring, you know, strenuous uh, events in my life when I need to or accepting that shit's going to happen because I've kind of added a bit of shit in already. <laughs> so I, I, I really, really like that message, Mike. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know, you know why, you know why people have, uh, you know why people have graves, gravestones, tombstones. Tell me. The, the, the reason why people have tombstones and, gra- and graves is so that someone walking by can look down and, and remember and see why, you know, that this person existed. It's so people could remember that this person existed, that this person was here. I, what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that you live, you live a life in such a way that you don't need a tombstone because the things that you did, the things that you did that because you weren't afraid to step out there and you weren't afraid to go through the pain, um, people will remember you regardless because you have left something that impactful that will last for generations that you don't need a tombstone for people to remember you by. Or you could, or you could live a life in such a way that you you were afraid of everything, and you went through all the suffering, and or and you avoided, rather you avoided all the suffering, and now here's your tombstone with a long list of of things about you, and at the end of the it'll end end of the tombstone it'll say that here lies someone who did not use their gifts, here lies someone who did not use their potential. And buried in this in this grave is all their ideas and all their possibilities of greatness, all their all the things that they could have done is buried here. That's what it'll say on that tombstone. So I'm saying live live and live life in such a way that you don't need a tombstone. That people will t- continue to talk about what you've done and talk about what the things you've done and the inspiration they've gotten from you and the footsteps you've left behind for people to follow because you lived fearlessly. Your legacy was, should be more than just a piece of rock, is what I'm, I'm hearing. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And the the number one nemesis to that, the number one, the thing that will prevent that from happening is avoiding pain and suffering. Mm. Yeah, it, it is unavoidable, isn't it? You look at any business leader, you look at any entrepreneur, you look at any ath- athlete or you know world record holder or Olympist. They've they've all they've all had to endure lots of suffering and yet we we applaud and we hold them in you know such high regard for their their feats of bravery and, and achievement but it seems somewhat inaccessible to a lot of people just because there's you know you think genetics you think gifted and you know unwillingness to consider just how much hard work they put in every day but as you say it's, it's incremental isn't it they uh, uh, michael phelps wasn't you know, wasn't an, an amazing swimmer at one years old, right? You might have might have been able to move around in the water a little bit more than everyone else, but it wasn't incredible. His incredibleness came from perseverance, right? Um, yeah. I, I I did have one other question around the, the feats. Maybe you can make it real for me. So call out any one of those, but answer it in this context. I see my mind, and I would say this is somewhat universal, that our, our minds are a bit of a tyrant that when left to think and or when in pain, they can just get us into all sorts of trouble. 
just really pl- play havoc with us. You know, I think about solitary confinement and how that's supposed to be like the, one of the worst punishments you can give someone because left to your own devices in complete boredom and isolation, your your brain really just plays tricks on you. And I'm thinking about, uh, you know, maybe, you know, uh, the, uh, the rope climb, for example. And I'm thinking all that time and effort. And I know my mind goes wondering when I'm doing a squat for 30 seconds. <laughs> I can't keep it together for, like, you know, no more than a minute. It's doing or thinking about something that's not necessarily always helpful. Can you recall some real big challenges that you had between you and this other you that was just playing tricks on you and just, you know, making your life more difficult than it has to be because your mind's just going off on one. Right. Um, you know, I think, uh, the, the event, the, the labor that comes comes to mind with that is, um, you know, when I said in the beginning, you, you either have, you have your excuses or your results. You can't have both. Right. And when you, when you're faced with something, when they're faced with a challenge, your mind will will immediately go, especially if it's something difficult, um, something you haven't done before, something that you might think is impossible. Your brain will immediately go go to work to sabotage you and stop you from doing it. And it's very good at it. The thoughts that it gives you, like quitting is a very insidious conversation. It leans at you. It, it makes a very convincing argument as to why you should quit the task at hand. And you could probably get a bunch of people to agree with you, right? For example, when I... Uh, when I set the goal to to flip the to flip the 250 pound tire for 13 miles straight, I did it to uh, to bring awareness for uh, veteran mental health issues. A friend of mine, his brother, had just taken his life, lost the battle to his demons. I wanted to do it a, a fundraiser to raise funds and awareness for those types of resources. And um, I was training. I began training for this uh, labor right after the first, right after my first pull up attempt. So I had got out, out the hospital. Six weeks later, I was training for this uh, for this tire flip, and I was I I did the preparation. I embraced the challenge. I was committed to it, and I was ready for it. And then I believed in myself. And then the belief got tested. The day before, the day right before um, I did this labor, my dad passed away suddenly. Right. Less than eight less than eight hours before I was supposed to start. So now I'm faced with a choice. Now I could I could have I could have given in to that, you know, you know, reporters, everyone was asking if I was gonna postpone it, if I was gonna cancel it. That was a test of my purpose and my belief. Right? That was a test of my purpose towards it like what what is my purpose in my life of, of inspiring these people and this greatness and others? Is it stronger than a death in the family? A death of someone important to you? Like this is where I was able to really see the the depth of my resolve, and I made the decision to continue on and do the event because you know it's it's, it's all about how you how you look at it when these thoughts come up and these doubts come up and these things these excuses come up for why you shouldn't do something, you know that is the time to really see the 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 strength in the in the belief. And I know that if my dad were to walk right through the door, he would tell me, he would say, son, you stay committed to you, to your word. You live your life with purpose and you follow through on what you said you're going to do. And I honored him by going, going on and, and doing the challenge. So I woke up the next morning and I, and I completed the, the labor in 10 hours. Um, but that's one of those things. It's like, you know, you're going to be tested. And you're going to have excuses. There's going to be excuses to come up. But what I'm saying is you do the thing 
you do whatever it is you said you're going to do in spite of the excuses. I'm If you're trying to lose weight, I'm overweight than a lot of folks. Therefore, I will stick to this plan and make it happen. I'm, I'm, I'm older than a lot of folks. Therefore, I will prove that I could still start a business from scratch and, and, and thrive in a, in a, in a very competitive uh, landscape. I'm younger than a lot of folks. Therefore, I will. You turn your excuses into reasons for doing it. You turn your excuses, every excuse that comes up as to why you can't or why you shouldn't or why it's, it's going to be hard. You turn that excuse into a, a reason and you make it a, another plate on your armor. Every excuse you turn into reason, it turns into a plate on your armor, going into battle, going into this, this fight that you're going to have towards reaching your goal. And that's the way I go into every single labor and especially that labor that I did when, you know, when my dad passed away. And then I guess what? I turned that excuse into another reason to do my next labor, which was the pull up or which was the rope climb. I used that momentum that I gained from that. And I did a, um, I did the, the rope climb for the height of Everest uh, to raise awareness for Parkinson's disease, which my dad suffered from. So I turned something that could have potentially threw me into a downward spiral into a bad place in my mind. And I turned it into a reason to create something great and something that will inspire others for generations to come where I could have easily gone the other way. I could have easily just said, I'm not doing the tire flip. I'm going to go sit in this sad space and dwell on it. I'm not saying don't grieve. I'm not saying don't take time for yourself, but I'm saying choose. Everyone chooses to has a choice to, to grieve and, and, and deal with these emotions in their own way. And I chose in the moment that I was going to honor his memory and I was going to move forward in a way that I felt was empowering to myself and others. But I'm saying everyone has a different way of doing it. You must have, you must have a chimp brain. You must have this arsehole of a individual <laughs> in your mind. You know, that, that one who just isn't particularly kind. Do you not have, I mean, it sounds like you have a, a fantastic grasp with, you know, doing the right thing, following your beliefs, staying committed, uh, staying true to what you feel your purpose is. And I can see logically, that makes a lot of sense. And given optionality, you choose the path. Um, but when you're in the middle of these things, you're like, do you not have your chimp brain just going berserk at you right? constantly? I mean, you're doing this stuff in some cases for a day, nonstop with no sleep, 24 hours. Like, isn't, aren't you, aren't you just giving yourself shit all the time? Because I can imagine yeah, there is the desire to quit and all the reasons why you should quit. But I know everyone struggles with a bit of negative self-talk and, you know, shutting that guy up can be difficult at times. Do, do you struggle with that personally? And if so, what, what are your coping mechanisms to go through hours and hours of treacherous labor and yet somehow come out on top and not have this little chimp in your brain just like constantly eating at you? Right. Right. The chip is always there. I always, I always have that chimp in the brain. That's the part, that's the, that's the job of the brain. And sometimes, you know, that sometimes that chimp is a gorilla. Sometimes <laughs> that chimp is, a, is, you know, King Kong, um, on my back tell me, but that is where, you know, you lean into the, your resolve, you lean into your, that's why it's so important for people to find a, a, a purpose and understand and realize the purpose behind what they're doing. I can't, I can't express if I didn't have a strong purpose, um, in what I did, I would have, I would have quit mm -hmm. so many times already because my purpose was weak. Because if you, the second you can't answer the question why you're doing the thing you're doing, you, you're in a very vulnerable place. And that's where the quitting happens. The second where you can't with, you know, 
with with conviction answer the question why you know you're in pain you're suffering the chimp is on your back the grill is on your back and your your brain says why the hell are you doing this and if you hesitate if you can't answer right away your answer why with your purpose then and you leave that blank slate your brain will fill in that blank for you and your brain will always take the path of least resistance. Your, your brain will always take the path to quit. Your brain will always stop you. If you can't answer, if you can't, if you can't, if you don't have the conviction in your purpose and, and you don't think about it all the time, you almost obsess over your purpose in life. And if you don't know what that purpose is, I would take personal inventory in your life and begin to discover what that is. Because that is going to be the, at the end of the day, that's your ultimate driver. At least for me, that's what drives me. That's what keeps the chimp at bay. That's what keeps the gorilla in the cage is the gorilla comes out or the chimp comes out. And I answer back with, with a fierce and deep purpose. That's what puts the chimp back in the cage. And your brain says, Oh, that's right. That's why you're doing this. Okay. (laughs) That's that that, for a minute. I'll shut up. (laughs) And, And guess what? That cage isn't locked. Yeah. That cage will, I mean, the, the chimp comes back from time to time. The chimp doesn't, ne- it never goes away as long as you're alive, as long as you're a human being, because that's our nature. You're not going to override, you know, 300 million years of evolution to, to self preserve ourselves. You know, our brain is very good at what it does. But you, as a person, you have a choice in any given moment. You have a choice now and now and now. And now to resist that chimp, to resist that, that lizard brain, to override that lizard brain, no matter how powerful it might seem in the moment, you still, at the end of the day, the final filter between you and your adversity, the final filter between you and your challenges and your obstacles and quitting is your thoughts. That is the final barrier. That is the line. That is where, that is where the line is drawn is in your thoughts and in your choices. So you have the choice to make in the moment to quit or to keep going. And until you make that choice, until you make that choice, no one can make it for you. Until you make that choice, you're still in the fight. No matter how hopeless it might seem, no matter how how painful it might be, no matter how much suffering you're going through, at the end of the day, it is still your choice. Unless someone physically has a gun to your head telling you to pursue that business pursuit or that goal to lose weight or whatever, that the choice is yours. No one's making you do it. And the more that you expose yourself to challenges and suffering and pain, and the more you make the choice to continue on in those moments of suffering and pain, the stronger that part of your brain that is responsible for making that choice will become. It's a muscle just like anything else. And you have to strengthen that muscle by continually making the choice to keep going in the moment of pain and suffering. If you avoid the pain and suffering, you will never get the environmental stimulus to 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 awaken that muscle in your brain. So when it happens in life unexpectedly, which it will because that is the baseline for life is suffering, you're going to get thrown off course. You're going to get shocked. Your world is going to be rocked and you might not recover from it because you weren't prepared. You weren't ready because you weren't willing to do the preparation. You weren't willing to do it. So now you're here in a real life situation and you're going through it and you have no tools. You have no armor. You've never took, turned your excuses into reasons for continuing on. Therefore, you are defenseless against what life will, will inevitably, inevitably throw at you. Prepare yourself. 
take on the mindset, be prepared. You can't plan everything in life. You can't, you can't predict everything in life, but you can prepare yourself and preparation is key. What I've, what I've taken from that, Mike, and it's, it's profound is, and I don't know whether I'm getting my analogies completely spot on, but we got this idea of this chimp brain and this chimp brain is, you know, it's cheeky, he's aggressive, persistent. He won't ever shut up. Um, very fast witted, like it can happen in an instant, you know, so yeah, you can have choices, you can have choices to act or stop right in the moment. But what underlies the choices, i.e. the logical brain deciding to respond is the hardware. And the hardware is the belief system. Because if the hardware is there and in place, that belief system is strong enough, that's instantaneous, that's there, you don't have to choose to have a belief, the belief is there, and then you layer on top of that a choice to not not quit and not not give in to you know the bullying of of that kind of quick-witted chimp brain so it starts with that belief system that's the that's the quickest way to quieten the negativity of your chimp brain that's at least what what i'm getting from you and and then it's all about reps right it's all about all all about about reps reps. last question then man um before i leave you be and crack on with the rest of your day is uh really one of life and fulfillment so I, I guess in my mind, these are the two two things I just want to just understand as we close, which is what is a life well lived? What is a life well lived? And secondly, where would you be without these labors? Are they a critical part of your life as you reflect? So what is a life well lived? And where would you be without these labors? Right. Great question. I think a life well lived is a committed life. A life committed is a is a, a life filled with commitment is a life well lived. A life an uncommitted life is not a life worth living. Because when you're not committed you you you're just going through the motions. If you never commit to something you're you're kind of left with this with this bag of what ifs at the end of life. What if I were to commit to this person? What if I were to fully commit to this idea that was kicking around in the back of my head for so many years? And I wanted to do it. I really did. I wanted to. I just could never commit to taking the steps. I could never commit to taking the first step. What if? And, and at the end of the day, is that we want to just have that balance of what ifs to be very minimal, if not zero. So to me, in my life, when, at the end of my life, I don't want a bag of what ifs. I don't want to. I don't want to say, "Well, I wish I were to would have committed more to this or that." And if I didn't have these labors, if I didn't, let's say I, um, I was, I don't know, I, I was in a in a God forbid a, a a big accident where I didn't have any arms and legs anymore. I would have still found a way to take the my my circumstance, take whatever it is I still had left. And use it to inspire people because that is that is purpose. Purpose transcends the physical. Purpose transcends what your physical abilities. It's deeper than that. So strip me of my arms and legs. I couldn't do a single pull-up. I would have done the most pull-ups in 24 hours using my teeth. I would have found a way to still relay the same message because this reason for me doing these things goes deeper than a a record a record will be broken records will be made they'll be broken and they'll be broken again that's not purpose 
that could be a reason for doing something, but that's not purpose. So for me, my purpose is to inspire people to do great things and to achieve self-mastery through through these feats for a cause causes greater than myself. So because the cause is greater than myself, the limitations of my physical self are irrelevant. So for me, like if I didn't have these labors, if I if I couldn't do it, I would have found another way to do it. I'm exploring new ways to to express my purpose every single day that are outside of these labors. I'm training a man named Colin O'Brady. Um, Colin was the first man to walk across uh, Antarctica solo and supported and unassisted. He's training for another really big project right now. I'm using my abilities. I'm using my my talents to to help another person do things that are great and and will also inspire other people. Isn't that that's a, isn't that what it's all about, Mike? Right? It's all about experiencing life in a way where you develop wisdom and that wisdom's passed on to the bigger organism, i.e. human species, nature, the world. So the world is a better place as a result of your presence, right? And that's what I'm getting from you strongly. 100%. 100%. Cool, man. Listen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, just to summarize for the people, because there's obviously a lot we didn't cover You've had some fantastic feats of endurance and physicality. Um, they can go to your website, right, which is the12laboursproject.com, and you can check up on these world records. There's a few vids. Um, I know you've got a YouTube channel as well. So they are 5,800 pull-ups in 24 hours, a 13-mile tire flip, a 250-pound tire over yeah 13 miles through. Uh, is it Death Valley? No, no, it wasn't. No, it was yeah. That wasn't in Death Valley. That was in Oak Harbor, Washington. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I've, I've got got my got my world records a bit confused. Um, the right. world record rope climb uh, equivalent of the height of Mount Everest, which is twenty nine thousand feet, completed in how many hours? Twenty seven. Twenty seven hours. Oh my God. And um, pulling a two ton pickup truck across Death Valley over twenty two miles over a period of how many hours? 19 19 it's just incredible plus some other things as well so if you want to check out that guys do go to the website i've just stated it'll be in the show notes as well um but outside of that mike is there any anything else you want to leave the guys with in terms of where to find you online or maybe how to support you because i'm guessing you've got other projects or other labors in the works that people would love to one see more of and perhaps even uh, help contribute through whatever charity you choose Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. you know, it, was, it was really a pleasure to be on, on the show with you today. Um, yeah, yeah. You can find me on, uh, you know, I'm on Instagram. It's Mike McCastle, uh, you know, 12 labors project.com is my website. And, uh, you know, I really like, you know, receiving messages. I get messages from a lot of different people around the world saying how inspired they are. And, and, and they share with me some of the great things that they're doing in their life. I love um, receiving those kind of emails. Kind of let me, just let me know what you're up to. Let me know how you're you're using your gifts in your life. And, and to me, that's that's enough. I'm training for a couple uh, other big challenges in the future, which I'll be uh, posting more information on via social media. But uh, yeah, just uh, you know, don't hesitate to send me an email or reach out to me. And if they do want to um, offer a charitable donation, uh, is there a straightforward way of doing that, Mike? Yeah, I have a couple of links on my on my website if they want to donate to uh, some of the causes, Parkinson's disease or uh, you know mental health issues, things like that. Awesome, man. Awesome. I say this completely genuinely. Uh, you are absolutely fascinating and um, courageous and 
I do believe that you are expressing the human potential in a way that will inspire people to this point, to this anecdote. And I know this is tiny, Mike, but uh, upon listening to a couple of other your podcasts over the last couple of days in preparation, um, these are no big feats, but I got in the gym and where I otherwise would would stop, um, I stuck a couple of reps on almost every single exercise I've done. I had a little bit more weight than I perhaps would have otherwise. I started to challenge how weak minded I can be in the moment of wanting to give up because you know the burns there or I haven't done this before therefore I should stop now at eight reps or nine reps and I felt just a little bit more capacity capacity to reach and do more and whilst that's tiny and uh, insignificant in the grand scheme of my life and others um, if I can hold on to that day in day out I'll just squeeze a little bit more potential out of my life and what I can achieve and I ultimately on the same path, I want to add value. And um, that's really encouraging. So whilst you're not currently motivating me to go and work, <laughs> break your world record on the pull-ups, not at all, you are encouraging me to dig a little deeper and find more purpose, more action in my day-to-day life. So I thank you for that genuinely. Uh, that's pretty significant, man. Uh, that's pretty significant to me. And that that is very significant, I think, to you because that is that's what leads to it, man. I mean, I wouldn't have broken the world record if I didn't have that moment that you just had. If I never had got had that moment, I would have never got to the next step, which led to the next step, which led to the next step. So the very significant man. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. You're you're great, Mike. Listen, I'll let you crack on. I know you've got a, a busy day, week, life. So I'll let you get back on with that. And uh, again, pl- privileged and honored to be speaking with you. And let's keep in touch, man. Likewise. Have a great one. I feel so good after that conversation. I mean, genuinely and honestly, my mindset has shifted permanently as a result of that chat. Struggling and suffering do not need to be feared and avoided at all costs. In actual fact, leaning in on suffering and struggle is probably going to bring you more joy, more happiness, and is absolutely going to get after your greatness and give you an opportunity to pursue your purpose like nothing else will. And I genuinely hope that this conversation and all the others we have has a similar impact to you as well. Now, please remember that the Be Your Best Self-Optimization program is imminently available. And you can go check that out by going to adaptnation.io and on the homepage, there will be a notify button. Press that and you will get notified as soon as it drops. And you're going to want to see this. This is a game-changing product. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.